you know, as we talk about thanks for giving uh, in the series and in culture and, and, you know, how do we how do we move forward with uh, even this as we head into Thanksgiving, you know, thankfulness. And, you know, as we kind of uh, wade through the muck, if you will, of where we are, uh, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this week and we said, man, with all that we see, many of us want to be done just talking about it, right? If we could just fast forward and not look at it anymore and just all the stuff that's going on. And I'm not just talking about election stuff in the rioting. I'm just talking about, man, in the last 90 days or last year, just the stuff that uh, we have to talk about. You know, for us growing up, you know, I'm going to be 34. You know, for us growing up in school, you would hear of a, a tragedy and it would get a year. You know, this year there was this thing that happened. Well, now we have tragedies, in a year. We just have all of this stuff that we have to explain. And so we wish we could fast forward and we wish that we could look past it. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. I said, it's amazing what we're dealing with and what we're looking at. If you ever just stop and just said it all out loud, well, we, it's just unbelievable what we see and what we're up against. But what's really important is to understand is that when the scripture says you were born for such a time as this, we love that when we talk about getting the victory and, you know, growing a ministry or, you know, all this kind of stuff. But you all who are sitting here, you were born for such a time as this. God's not surprised with where we're at, and he's also equipped you with what you need to navigate people to the kingdom through this process. Amen? So I brought this scripture, 2 Timothy 4, 7. It says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Here's what I want us to see is that, yeah, we're in a fight. We're all in a race. We want to take as many people to heaven with us. We want to change our communities. We want to better families. We want to make a difference in the world. All of us agree. I want to be a world changer. I want to see world peace. I want to see, you know, we've got all this stuff and we're for that. But it's interesting because that's a fight. World peace and unity and all of these great things, those are things you have to fight for. Those are races that you run in cultures in order to see those things come to existence. Amen? And so he's saying, I fought the fight. Uh, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. To mention that they've kept the faith means that it's possible for you to lose faith. It means it's possible for you to get discouraged and drop out of the good fight and drop out of the race. But God is saying and speaking to us through this writer that, hey, it's important for us to be a people that are minded that says, look, I got to finish this thing. I got to fight the, I can't let myself lose faith. Amen. <clears throat> but you turn on this or you turn on that and it's easy to lose faith. It's easy to go, you know what? I don't want to participate in this. I wish I could bury my head in the sand. I don't want to engage in this anymore. But you have to fight the good faith. You have to finish the race and you got to keep the faith. Why? Because unity is our only option. You have to keep pressing on towards good things. You have to keep pressing on to what God called us to do. Why? Because unity and coming together and making a difference is our only option. Uh, the thing with, you know, when we say, oh, we love world peace, and oh, we want to see the world change. Well, that takes us coming together, and that's something you have to fight for. Unity is our only option, and in order to have unity, you have to fight to get it, and then you have to fight to keep it. Because listen, the enemy only attacks at the point of unity. Uh, check this out. We saw in Scripture that it says, uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against kingdoms and principalities and powers. We all know that there's darkness that exists behind the scene, right? You read a news article and you go, no way is that just a person's decision. There was certainly darkness that was leading that. 
And so we all agree about that part, that there's always something going on behind the scenes, and we need to be minded, mindful of that, that we're in a fight, we're in a race, and we're going to keep the faith because darkness is trying to win. But our only option here is unity. we got to come together in a way that we're aware of what we're fighting against. We're not fighting against each other. We need each other because unity is our only option, and we have to fight for that. Amen? The enemy only attacks at the point of unity. Adam was left alone in the garden. The first time you see the enemy attack somebody, Adam was left alone in the garden until he was given Eve. Why? Because when he had Eve, he then had something that he had unity with, and the enemy made his attack. He doesn't attack you when you stand alone and you let yourself be disconnected. And The reason he comes at unity is because if all we're doing is fighting and disagreeing and getting at each other, he knows there's no reason to attack there because you're going to disassemble yourselves anyway. If all we do is fight, if all we do is argue, if all we do is split hairs and nag and twist media scene and all this stuff, if that's all we end up doing, we're going to miss it and we'll disassemble ourselves anyway and be of no good fruit. And how many know we're already seeing evidence of that? Amen. The scripture says in Ephesians 4, when it talks about how the body of Christ or the church is to operate, it says, be eager to do what? Keep the unity. It's saying you should have a mindset of pursuing unity. How are you going to be successful? How are you going to see all the things that God has designed the church to do? How are we going to do those things? We're going to do them if we're people that are eager to keep unity among each other. Amen? You don't have to agree with each other. It doesn't say you have to agree about everything. Well, how would we be uh, in unity if we didn't agree? Well, think about it like this. Of your friends that you would consider yourself in unity with, think of your friendship circles. Do they all parent the exact same way you do? No. Do they all have the same exact financial planning as you do? No. You're different in a few different things, but you can still walk in unity, right? We may have a different denomination style, and this person might have a different thing. If we all believe the same thing, the Bible... And we're all going after God to make a difference in our community. We can be a little different, but we can all be about unity. Amen. That's what the church needs to do. Are you with me? Amen. And so it's okay. You don't have, everybody doesn't have to be robots that all walk in the same line. We're only called to walk according to the word of God. That's the standard, right? The scripture says that uh, in the New Testament, you see in the book of Acts where he tells them to go up to the upper room. And he calls people up to the upper room, and the scripture says that when they were in one accord, the Holy Spirit came and power was released. I wonder about our churches and our body of Christ and us as people, if we would come together in one accord, what God would release into our lives. I wonder if we were, like the scripture says in Ephesians 4, that we got to be eager to keep the unity. If we could just get in one accord, what could God do with that? Amen? If we could put aside style in this, and we could come about being unified, I believe that the power of God would be released. I thought about it like this. Our nation was the greatest when it was the most united. It's at its worst when it's the most divided. Amen? You could say the same thing about our churches. We're our greatest when we're the most united, when we're taking care of each other, when we're asking how somebody else is doing. But we're our most damaging when we're most divided. Amen? The body of Christ needs unity. It needs to come together. I thought about this. I recently got a truck, and they were explaining to me uh, that it's a little bit of a body change style. They're using aluminum or whatever now, and I sort of got the history of how cars are built. And back in the day, they used to bolt together uh, frameworks of cars. Uh, They used to be able to bolt them together, I guess, or whatever they're saying, and uh, they weren't as unified. It wasn't one total body, okay? And they said once they got to the ingenuity and the efficiencies of making a solid body frame, 
they could put more horsepower and more torque into the cars. Why? Because there was strength in the fact that the body was unified. They say the same things about guns, that the more of a solid unit it is in, in its size, and I don't know a lot about guns, but the solid unit of it all, but the more that it has, has a solid unified body, the more output that it can have, the more impact it can make. It's the same thing when we come together as people, as a country, and as a church, and as believers. The more that we're a unified body, the more output we can have. Amen? So why do you think the enemy is doing all that he can to divide a place that's called the United States of America? Because if he can tear us apart, if he can fracture us, if he can get us so divided and, and talking ridiculous, then we'll have no successful output. output. Amen? The big problem that we see with it, too, is whenever there's a, a situation where, where you could have unity, but there's a bump in the road, our natural tendency, and we saw it with Adam and Eve, something happens, and it's going to cause a bump in our unity. We have a disagreement. We have an argument. We have <coughs> a hurt. Something happens. What we do is we do like Adam and Eve. We run, and we hide, and we retreat, and we isolate, and we pull out of unity. And we try to go be by ourselves and be angry. Or we try to go make other pockets of unity and we start these little groups and we all talk and we do all this. And instead of being eager for unity, like Ephesians 4 says, because it's human nature for us to retreat. The worst thing you can do in times like these is retreat and let yourself settle in a group that thinks away or feels away against the other group. We need each other, amen? You're your best when you can fight through hard times. The best Christian is found in hardship. The best Christian, and I'm not saying there's like a better Christian than another Christian, but you know what I'm saying? The best Christian is formed in the person that says, hey, like the scripture says, I'm going to put my hand to the plow and I'm not going to look back. Come what may, God, I will follow. I choose you. I trust you. Because great quality is formed in hardship. Uh, Romans 5.3 begins to describe this. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So you're in a situation where you feel hurt or you feel frustrated or things are getting hard and I don't like what I'm seeing and I don't know how we're going to get through this and will it ever be fixed and all of those kinds of things. You say, okay, God, I see this hardship, but I know that this hardship, if I persevere, will produce character and that character is going to give me the hope to make sure that I can stay hopeful. And then when you persevere and you fight the fight and you don't give up and you finish the race, then what? We have our victory. We've kept the faith. We can. So anytime you face hardship like this, it's don't retreat, it's don't back down, it's, don't, it's instead, God, I'm keeping my eyes fixed on you. Help me persevere, help my character grow so that I have a hope in you, amen? And so here in these seasons where we look and we go, I don't know, has God left us, has he whatever? Because it's easy to say, well, God is in control. Well, God has a plan, we just have to trust God. Trust God is hard, that's hard. Just that idea, it's, it's easy to make it a bumper sticker, trust God. But to live out, trust God, is really hard, right? And so we got to be a people that, hey, I understand this is a hardship, but this is what is part of me trusting God. Uh, I thought about it like this. In good times, people gather. In the good times, people gather. Crowds come for the good times. That's easy. But in hard times, leaders gather. 
And it's in hard times like these, we need some Christian leaders to stand up and endure the hard times and fight the fight and keep the race and keep the faith. How many are with me? It's in these seasons that we can gain our influence in our communities because people look at the church and go, man, in these hard times, they haven't quit. They've kept the faith. Amen. And so these hard times, it's easy to gather to the fun things. It's easy to go to the carnival. It's easy to come and sing a song and have the fun and all the lights. But when all that goes away, and hell hits your doorstep, and there's no worship band, that's where you are formed. That's where you're forged. I can't tell you every day when I get a phone call and I hear of a story and I just go, oh, God. And my natural reaction to go is, God, I don't want this. I don't want to have to walk through this with them. I don't want to have to see this. I don't want to have to participate in this. This is hard. This hurts. But I understand that it produces perseverance. And the perseverance builds my character so that I can have hope for a better world. Somebody say amen. And so when hell hits the doorstep, you say, God, I'm going to persevere because you're going to produce in me. And I'm not going to choose factions, and I'm not going to call people this, and I'm not going to label that. Instead, I'm going to say, God, I trust you. And you're going to produce in me something that's going to bring hope to this world. Amen? The world needs Christians with a burden, not an interest. We got too many Christians. They're just interested in the idea of Christianity. Well, that sounds good. Love, love, love wins. God loves the cross, Easter. Love, I love that. I'm interested in that. <laughs> but we need some Christians that are like, look, I'm going to put my hand to the plow and I'm going to grind and I'm going to do things like Jesus did that are like this. Hey, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you in it till the end. Somebody say amen. When it gets hard, when it gets ugly, when it gets frustrating, I'm not going anywhere. Because I got a burden for the body of Christ. I got a burden for people. I'm not just in this because it's a good status to put on my, right? We're in it because we mean it. Proof is in the pursuit. I, if I were to say, and some of you have heard me say this before, I want to play keyboard. Oh, I want to play keyboard. I have an interest in playing keyboard. And if that's what I said, I got an interest in it. I'm going to learn to play keyboard. I want to play keyboard. But I never picked up a book. I never learned what it was about. I never committed myself to the whatever, uh, act, uh, if I never committed myself to the discipline of it, how many you know, I really don't have an interest in playing piano or keyboard, but if I was pursuing it and I was picking up the book and I was learning about it and I was committing myself to it and I was disciplined in it and it was a part of my everyday life, then you would say, oh, truly he has a desire and a burden to play the keyboard because I can see that active in their life. We got too many Christians that they have an interest in it and no pursuit in it. They have no burden for it. They, when the going gets tough, they're out. God needs us to be some people that are going to follow through and have a burden for it and pursue it. Amen? I thought about it like this. We need more perennial Christians. Uh, I learned this week as we talked with our lead team about this idea of, of unity. And you got perennial flowers and you have annual flowers. Annual flowers are the ones that you plant and they die. You only get one season out of them. And those flowers, <clears throat> excuse me, they're the ones you plant in the spring and it's nice and everything's pretty and they sit there and they live and they looked real good for a season. 
and then they're done. But a perennial flower is a flower that says, hey, you can stick me in this ground and I'm going to get a root system in here and I'm going to plant, I'm going to stick in this thing. And I don't need all the sunshine all the time. I don't need everything perfect all the time. I don't need all the right environment all the time. But I'm still going to grow and I'm still going to stick and I'm still going to be here come what may. Somebody say amen. And what happens to a lot of every perennial, maybe, I'm not sure about perennials, but I know this happens to some of ours, is they're in there and they're thriving and it's sunny and it's a great season and we love being a perennial. Look at the fruit. Look what we produce. Don't we look so pretty? Look at all of our accomplishments. And then all of a sudden somebody comes along and cuts them off at the end of the year. And you, oh, I'm hurt. I'm so hurt. I'm starting to talk about Christians now. They once produced in their life. They once were sunny. They once were so fun. Look at all that we've done. And then a hurt comes and cuts them off and they quit. They want to be an annual again. I'm done. I'm done. But true Christians are the perennial Christians that say, hey, I'm not just in it for the sunshine. I'm just not in it for the pretty and the nice. And the, when it comes and I get hurt and I get knocked down, I know that if I just stay rooted, I just know that if I stay here, the right season's going to come and I'll be back. My father-in-law told me in between services that not only do they come back, they guess what they come back? Stronger, bigger, prettier, if you just remain rooted, if we'll just stay in our convictions, if we'll stay lined up with the word of God, it doesn't matter how we get hurt, doesn't matter how we get cut down. If we stay rooted, we're going to come back prettier, stronger, better, amen, in remaining. But we don't like that because that season of darkness and the snow covers us and it gets cold and we don't see the sun and all we're doing is just staying rooted, rooted in the word, rooted in the dark of the dirt and the rough. And the, we said a couple of weeks ago that God digs deep so that he can build high. The higher the foundation, the higher the structure, the deeper you have to go. Same thing in our walk with God. The more you want to go with God, the more you want to gain, the more you want to grow, the deeper God has to dig you. We have to let him dig us deep, amen? And it's seasons like these where you look around and you say, I want out. I don't want to participate. I'm sick of the noise. I don't want to, right? That we say, God, dig us deep, dig us deep because I want to make a difference in my community. And I don't care how bad it looks and how dark it looks. I'm not going to retreat. I'm not going to isolate. Instead, I'm going to say, I'm going to remain here and I'm going to grow. Amen? I'll close with this thought. The scripture gives us a promise about how to grow a great root system, about how to be rooted in God. The, the first verse we just read was about, hey, you have to fight the good fight. You have to finish the race. You have to keep the faith. Well, how do we do that? How do we know that we're fighting the fight the right way? How do we know that we're enduring the way God wants us to? Well, it's awesome that God gave us scripture. And so to discern how to stay in the race and how to stay in the fight and how to win and how to be a perennial, how to be somebody who comes back even when you've been hurt, how do we know that we can do that? Well, the word promises how to do it. It gives you a bunch of ways that you can stay rooted and strong. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture... The Bible is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We hate teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. That's the hard part. That's the, we're staying in it because strong people stay in it. But it says, if you'll give yourself to that, then God will thoroughly equip you for every good work. The good work is changing our communities. The good work is impacting our schools. The good work is all of the things that are in our hearts to do. 
But how do we get to the good work? How do we get thoroughly equipped? We commit ourselves to correcting and training in righteousness. We learn the word where God says, hey, it's not good if you do this. It's better if you do it this way. And we say, all right, correct me in that because I want to be equipped to do every good work. When you say you want to make a difference, when you say you want to change the world, when you say you want to do those things, what you really need to say is I want to be corrected and trained in righteousness. God, make me thoroughly equipped so I can do the good works. Amen? Joshua 1.8 says, but the Bible shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may listen and do all that is written. Do according to all that is written in it. And when you do that, it will make your ways prosperous and you shall be smart and have good success. All of us in here want to be prosperous and be smart and have good success. Well, how do we do it? We make the word, we make the Bible an everyday part of our life. We meditate on it. We think about it. We make it a part of all of our decisions. But God, I got this decision in my job today. What do I do? You go back to the word that you meditated on and he'll lead you in righteousness and you'll be smart and have good success and your ways will be prosperous. Are you with me? How do we navigate all of this? Well, Psalm 37, 23 says, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. He's gonna show you your steps. He's gonna show us how to walk through all of this. Hebrews 12, 1 gives us an incredible promise. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance. What is it saying? That scripture literally means that all of the great Bible heroes, all of the great men of God, men and women of God in the Bible, it literally says that they're up in heaven cheering for you. They're pulling for you. They're interceding on your behalf. And that's what we do as a church. We cheer for you and we pull for you and we, we are looking for unity and we're cheering on unity and we're saying we can come together and we can do this. That's what heaven's doing today. So that what? So that we can be people who run with perseverance and make a difference and don't fall out of this race, amen? God is not surprised with where we're at or what we see. He's made you for such a time as this. You're able to make a difference in your community. You're able, that cause that you fight for on the inside of you, that you may have felt like is disregarded or people are demeaning, line it up with the word of God, make sure it's backed by God and then go fight, not against people. <laughs> That's where we get confused. Not against flesh and blood, but fight the darkness of it. Get involved in something that will make a difference in that area. Your Facebook status rant is not going to change the public school. Your Facebook rant is not gonna change your community. Your Facebook rant is it's when we go in and we roll up our sleeves and we make a difference on the ground. Amen? So God's not surprised with where we're at, but why are we surprised? Here's why we're surprised. Because obstacles are things a person sees when he takes his eyes off his goal. If you're distracted, if you're overwhelmed, if you feel like there's too many obstacles in front of you, it's probably because you took your eyes off God and his ways and what he thinks. The best way out of difficulty is through it. And what's awesome is our scripture promises that we have a God who walks with us through the valley. And it says his rod and his staff, it comforts us along the way. We can get through this valley. We can change the culture and the climate that we see. We just walk with God through the valley and his rod and his staff will comfort us, amen? I love this one. God is greater than the need and so much bigger than the problem. God is greater than the need and so much bigger than the problem. He can meet the need and fix the problem. We just gotta line ourselves up with his word and what he says and we can do it, amen?
but it's about unity. If we're fractured, if we're disconnected, if we're working against each other, it's never gonna happen, amen?